0: Well, it's good to have you here, and we are uh, continuing to make our way through the book of Philippians. We've just kind of broken into the second half of the book last week, and uh, it's a new year, and I, I have found that I'm having a lot more conversations over the last few weeks uh, about something in particular, and, um, and, and yet it's not really new because it's something that seems to come up a lot, but it's, it's basically a, a question that I think many of us ask, but we ask it sometimes in subtle ways, in different ways, and the question is this, am I good enough? And I think that for many of us, this is a, this is a question we wrestle with. I, I, I almost want to say that if, we, that if we're thoughtful people, if we, if we want to be good people, we probably do wrestle with this. I, I don't know that I want to say that, but I, I think it's probably true. And one of the ways that this comes out a lot is um, in conversations I've been having with parents uh over the last month or so and it's often in the form of a you know comment where maybe a parent will say to me you know, my, my my kids are in college, or I find this happens a lot. Or my kids are leaving and going to college, and I just can't help but wonder: Did I did I, am I was I a good enough parent? Did I do enough for them? Did I did I teach them enough? Did I and, you know instill them with truth? Did I invest enough time in them? Did, did I did I go to my work and make enough money to provide for them? And I think a lot of times this is a very personal thing for us because when it comes to our kids, right? We we want to be as parents, we want be good enough. We we want to bless them. We want to be what they what they need us to be and so often for us as parents, we don't always feel that way, do we? We don't always feel like we are good enough. A lot of times I think we always look back and think, I could have done more. I could have said more. I could have given more. I could have, I could have, I could have. But it doesn't just end with our kids. I, I think for many of us when we were really young, it kind of goes through this phase in life when you're really young. Uh, a lot of times we just look up to our parents as, you know, Superman and Superwoman and they can't do no wrong. And when we're young, we just want to please them and, and we, wanna, you know, we want them to be proud of us. And sometimes I think when we're young, we, will, we really wrestle with that am I good enough for mom, am I good enough for dad, are they proud of me? And, and then a lot of times in life we go through that phase where we don't care for a while about what mom and dad think about us and then we get a little older and we start to care more and you know maybe we get married, maybe we have kids, maybe we have a mortgage and we go through a lot of challenges and we start to think more and more about you know wanting our parents to be proud of us and am I good enough and I think even as adults um with our parents we often think you know am i still being a good enough son do i call them enough do i visit them enough i think many of us feel that way about our friendships am i a good friend you know do i pray for my friends do i make time for my friends do i do i say the things that would really encourage them spiritually um you know do i do i point out things that may be difficult am i a good friend and i think most of us want to be good friends We're just not always sure that we are. Uh, You know, when you're in school, a lot of times, especially I, I find people telling me when they go away to college... If, if mom and dad are paying for the lion's share of tuition and all that, sometimes I'll have kids say, you know, well, I, I, I didn't do good this semester in a, in a class. I didn't get an A. I feel kind of bad because my mom and dad worked hard for that money, and I feel like I'm, I've let them down. And it's just, again, back to this question. Am I a good enough son or daughter? Am I a good enough student I've wrestled with this for years. Am I a good enough pastor, you know? Um, When I was with someone, did I say the right thing? Was I I helpful enough? Did I seek them out? Did I spend enough time with them? Did I not spend too much time and drive them crazy, you know? um, And when I teach... Uh, I've wrestled with that for years. I'll almost always go home, my wife and have, we have this ritual, you know, we sit down for dinner and I'll say like, yeah, I don't know about that sermon. Ah, I could have studied more. I could have studied another hour. I could have done a better outline or better illustration or something like that. And my wife always, she always says the same thing, right? She's like, well, did you teach the word of God? Well, yeah, was it true? Well, yeah, well, then what's your problem, you know? Like, get over it, move on. But I think we, we wrestle with this, but the big one I think that's underneath all of this is, am I good enough for God? And I was thinking about that this week, how I think to some degree, almost all of the other am I good enoughs kind of come from this one, don't they? And to the degree that we get a handle on am I good enough for God, or how I think about that, really kind of percolates down into how we wrestle with that when it comes to the people around us. Now, of course, the short answer is no. <laughs> I'm not good enough for God. That's, now, uh, that's not how we become right with God. But again, that kind of bleeds down into our relationship. So we're studying through Philippians. It's, it's an epistle, or that is, it's a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Originally, his name was Saul. He was Jewish uh, he was a, a Pharisee before he came to Christ. That is part of a, an elite group of of Jewish religious leaders. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus and he hated Christians. Eventually, he kind of has a face to face with Jesus. He becomes a, a Christian. He becomes a church planter. He's he's telling people about Jesus. He plants this church in Philippi, um, and now he's in prison. At this point in in the story, he's in prison, and he hears about this group of of people. We called them last week, we called them Judaizers. And these Judaizers are people who are are on their way to Philippi, to Paul's beloved church. And, And they're going there probably to cause some problems, some issues. And Paul is in prison, so he can't go and protect them. He can't defend them. Now, Judaizers, as we said last week, these are are people, these are Jews who were willing to admit that maybe Jesus was a prophet, maybe even a great prophet, and and these are people who um, basically would say Jesus was a good ethical teacher, but Jesus couldn't save you. Jesus wasn't God. Jesus didn't die for your sin. So you could study Jesus and, and admire Jesus, but in order to be saved, you had to keep the Mosaic law. And so what they would do is they would, they would go to Christians, they would go to churches, and they would, they would promise a more complete faith through obeying the law. So they would go to Christians and they'd say, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but here's some boxes that you need to check. And in fact, what you'll find is your Christianity is, is a lot more satisfying when you get to check these boxes, I don't know what it is about boxes that appeal to our nature. And and it was true back then and it's still true today because I still have conversations with people even today who say, I know that Jesus died for my sin. I know I'm saved by grace, but I still want to check some boxes off for Jesus. We want to feel like we're contributing. Here's the issue though. Paul knows that this promise they make of of a fuller faith through checking off of boxes is an empty promise. Because Paul has been there and he's done that. And not only did it not make him right with God, it had the opposite effect completely on Paul and his relationship with God. And so the first thing in our passage tonight as we go into chapter 3 verse 4 is Paul wants to tell us that the right way is wrong. Now when we talk about the right way, I'm talking humanly speaking, there is a way that seems right to a man. There is a way to be right with God that seems right to us, but it is not. And in verse four, he says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. So he talks about flesh, he just, it's the opposite of being spiritual. So instead of following God in the spirit, it's talking about flesh, it's talking about works, it's talking about the outside and the checking of boxes. If anyone else thinks that he or she has a reason to be confident in their works, in their good works, Paul says, I have more. So Paul's talking about having confidence in human effort. He's talking about works, good works and rituals and being good enough for God. And what Paul's saying is this, if anyone could have been good enough to work their way to God, Paul says, I think it would have been me. And so what he does is he lists out for us seven things that that he thought at one point in his life that he thought qualified him to be right with God. So he does that for us. The first thing he mentions is this, Paul says, I did all the right rituals. In verse 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. We talked about this last week. Devout Jews called themselves eight-dayers, which meant on the eighth day after their, their son was born, they would take him and he would be circumcised. Now, as we talked about last week, circumcision was meant to be an outward sign of an internal work of God, of a covenant that God had made with his people. So it was something that God had done in you, and then it was something you did on the outside to reflect that. What the, what the Jewish leaders did is they turned it inside out. And instead of it being about what God had done for you, it became what you could do for God. You could do this thing, and it, it would make God love you more. It would make you right with God. They thought you got points for doing the right rituals. And in fact, these rituals were required in order for you to have salvation, and not a lot has changed in in two thousand years. Some people today still depend on rituals to make them right with God. I talk with people sometimes. Will say, you know, you can't. In fact, I had a conversation this week with someone who said, you can't be, you know, you can't be right with God if you haven't been baptized. Now, should you be baptized if you're a follower of Christ? Yes. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Some people think you have to be confirmed in the right denomination, be a member of the right church, or be involved in the right ministry. Paul says, I did all that. I had the right rituals. Second thing was, Paul said he was of the right race. In verse 5, he said, of the people of Israel. So Paul was a Jew. He was a physical descendant of Abraham. He he was racially a pure-blooded Israelite. He he basically is saying, I have the right DNA. I have the right genetics. I have the right skin color. And he thought that this made him right with God. Paul is literally, to put it in today's terms, he is proud of the color of his skin and his family tree. He thinks that his family tree actually makes him better than other people and makes him right with God. Of course, the question is, who put him in that family tree? right? Who, who decides when you will be born and, and to whom you will be born and, and where you will be born? Who decides the color of your skin? Who decides how intelligent or, you will be? Who gives you opportunity to succeed in life? All of these things come from, from God and yet Paul thinks somehow that these God-given things that he had nothing to do with make him better than other people. Paul thought he had the right ancestry, So he said he was of the tribe of Benjamin. So not only is he a Jew, but he's part of the the, kind of the elite tribe. So there were 12 tribes of Israel, and Benjamin was the tribe that in this time in history they believed was kind of the, the most faithful of all of the tribes long-term, the, really the last one to turn away from God. King Saul was of, of this tribe, and, and Paul's given name was Saul, so he was probably named after, after King Saul. And By Paul's day, many Jews no longer knew what tribe they belonged to because of intermarriage, but Paul's family uh, could trace their bloodline, and, and, and they were pure, you know, Benjaminites, and they, they actually thought that it made them better than other people, and again, the weird thing is Paul's taking credit for something he had nothing to do with he has nothing to do with the color of his skin he has nothing to do with his race he has nothing to do with the families born born into and yet he's proud of it. he thinks it makes him better than other people Paul also had what he calls the right the right traditions it says he was a hebrew of Hebrew. So he, his parents were Hebrew, and, and he was Hebrew. He was kind of an alpha Hebrew or an uber Hebrew, if you will. And, and what he means by this is he spoke Hebrew in a day when most Jews only knew Greek. And so if in that day you were a Hebrew and you spoke Hebrew, you kind of thought you were a little bit better than everyone else. When he prayed, he prayed in Hebrew. And he thought somehow that impressed God. And when he read the Bible, he read the Bible in in Hebrew. And he received the best private education of his day with the best rabbis of his day. He kept the traditions and he kept the rituals. and, And he's proud of maintaining his racial traditions. And again, some things just never change. Because today you'll still meet people who think they are superior to other people because of things they had nothing to do with. People who think, well, you know, I'm an American and so that that makes me better than a lot of people in the world. Or people who think that that the language they speak makes them better than other people, or people think that where they, was, where they were born makes them superior, or the color of their skin somehow makes them better, or their political affiliation, or their wealth. This subtle thing sometimes where we think, well, I have more money, I make more money, I have a better career than him, I think it's because God likes me more, I think it's because I've earned it more somehow. And there's a, there's a pride in this, that we think it makes us better, Folks, the reality is no matter what race you are or heritage you are or the traditions you have or the color of your skin, you're still a sinner. We are all exactly the same. We all need a savior. But Paul didn't get that. Paul thought he was better than others and didn't need one. Paul thought he had the right rank. So he goes on and he says, not only was he a Jew, not only was he a Benjaminite, not only was he a Hebrew, but as to the law, he was a Pharisee. So the Pharisees were this elite Jewish group. And a lot of times we, we, when we think of Pharisees, we think of them being as the absolute worst of people. We think of them as being proud, which they were, judgmental, which they were, hard-hearted, which they were, Jesus-haters, which they were, but their background, it didn't start that way. We think that the Pharisees probably maybe started during the, the exile or maybe shortly after that. They come back into the promised land. Um, they, they have no temple to wor- uh, worship in anymore. The, the priesthood is a mess. And so these, these lay people... These common people of Israel who loved God and, and loved the word, they kind of rose up and they started this group called the Pharisees and they, they began synagogues and neighborhoods. So if you couldn't go to the temple, you could go to a neighborhood synagogue where the word of God would be taught and truth would be taught and God would be worshiped. And these are people who highly valued the word and they championed biblical ethics and biblical education. There was about 6,000 of them um, during the time of Paul an elite group, and Paul had risen quickly through the ranks of the Pharisees. At a young age, he was powerful, he had a brilliant mind. The word Pharisee probably derived its meaning from the Hebrew word to separate. And what we believe happened was at first they wanted to separate themselves from um, ungodly things. And so these Pharisees, they began to teach that, you know, you need to live holy and, and you need to live right. But, but as time went on, they began to do this thing that sometimes we call, they, they would build fences. They built a lot of them, but let me just give you one example of what it might look like. They would, maybe they would say, And we see this today. They would say, uh, well, you should never get drunk because when you're drunk, you're no longer under the control of the Holy Spirit. So you couldn't get drunk. But the Pharisees just felt like people were so stupid that they'd never be able to not just get drunk. So they would build a fence and say, well, you should never drink any alcohol at all because you're so dumb if you drink any you might get drunk and then they were like well people might they might not get it so they built another fence which was you should never go to places that serve alcohol and then they were like well that isn't even good enough so they you know they put another fence you should never be with people who drink alcohol and then what happens Jesus comes along and what does Jesus do he like kicks down the fences, right? He 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 not only he not he goes to a wedding and he brings the alcohol, you know? I mean, he he hangs out, he hangs out with sinners, he hangs out with with people that, that the Pharisees would never ever hang around. And this creates this clash between God and these Pharisees. And then Paul thought he had the right intensity. He says, as to zeal, as as to passion. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a very intense. Person. Uh, he believed that he was doing God a favor by hunting down Christians, by persecuting Christians, by throwing them in prison, by even having them put to death. And Acts chapter 8, it describes Paul this way. It says, But Saul, that was his given name, was ravaging the church. And he was entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And in the next chapter we see, but Saul Saul's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's that's heavy duty right that's hardcore breathing threats and 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 murder against christians he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way men or women he might bring them bound to jerusalem he was passionate he had zeal. he was convinced that he was right but he was not right because zeal and passion alone does not make you right and the seventh thing was this, he, had the, he thought he had the right lifestyle. He said, as to righteousness under the law, Paul says, I was blameless. Now, he doesn't mean that he was sinless or that he was perfect, but he meant that he led, it, it meant he led an exemplary life, and, and the Pharisees knew that they were imperfect, but they believed that God had provided rituals and procedures and you know, boxes, that if they followed those, even if they sinned, they could do these things and it would make them good enough for God they wouldn't be perfect but they would be good enough because of the things that they had done Paul believes that these seven things made him good enough it made him better than other people and it made him good enough for God that it made him right with God and then one day Paul is traveling down the Damascus road you you may know the story and uh, he's 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 persecuting Christians because what he believes is that there was this guy named Jesus who lived you know kind of a contemporary of Paul that he he was a great guy but he kind of went off the rails he claimed to be God he was crucified for that he was buried and as Paul as far as Paul knew that Jesus was dead he was buried and he stayed buried he stayed dead So imagine his surprise when he thinks he's purifying the church of Christians and and, and he's going down the road and Jesus, Jesus comes to him. And Jesus confronts him and Paul's like, you know, who are you? And he's like, you know, I'm the guy that you think is dead. I'm the guy who, you know, the the followers you're killing. And this, this is the confrontation. What Paul finds out is that in fact he wasn't right with God, that he was a jerk and that he was actually an enemy of God. He was an enemy of God. And so here's what Paul tells us after all these great things that he thought made him right with God. He says this, you've got to lose it all if you want to get right with God. You've got to lose it all. Verse seven, here's what he says. But whatever gain I had, that is to his former life. Whatever I might have gained from that, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul learns that all the things that he thought got him spiritual credit, all the religion, all the rules, all the uprightness was actually worthless. It was worthless. Because the only thing that gets us any credit with God is Jesus. In verse eight he says this, indeed I count everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We'll dig down into that next week but he's talking about knowing Jesus and this word knowing here is not merely intellectual. It has the idea of, of experientially uh, being involved in knowing something that way. And So Paul is talking about more than mere knowledge of Christ. He's talking about knowing him personally and when Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus, what he saw was that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul goes from hating Jesus and hating Christians and and persecuting Christians and being violent against them to confessing not only that Jesus is Lord, but that Jesus is his Lord. And he begins to know Jesus personally, as we'll talk about next week, and, and loving him. It's an epic reversal that's so unimaginable that when Paul first becomes a Christian, nobody believes him. The Christians don't believe him. The non-Christians don't believe him. He goes on and says this, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of everything. And I count all of that stuff as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Becoming a Christian cost Paul everything from his former life. His self-confidence was gone. His pride was gone. His status in the community was gone. His friendships were gone. His wealth he lost, his comfort he lost, his safety he lost, his, you know, free time he lost. And what did Paul get in return? He got enemies and epic hardship and abuse and ridicule and rejection and prison. And what he says is this, that gaining Jesus alone was was better than everything that he lost combined. I wonder, could you say that? I mean, could you say that about Christ? If you left from here tonight and things went downhill really fast, you just left from here and you lost your home and you lost your job and you lost your comfort and you lost your hobbies and you lost your health and you lost all those things, could you say that? Could you say, you know what? I have Jesus and it's so much better than all that other stuff that I think I'll stick with Paul and rejoice in that. In fact, what Paul said was, he counted all that stuff he had as rubbish Skabalon is the Greek word there. It's a very strong word. It has the idea of dung or manure or the stuff that I avoid when I'm running along the dike, you know, that the horses leave there. It's Paul's accomplishments have become dung to him. Not just worthless, but steaming, stinking piles on the path of his life. So he says that all of that stuff that he lost was, was meaningless because he got jesus so what do we get like here's the thing i thought about this week what do you get when you get jesus like what what is that exactly and so i'll just to kind of tell you i i was writing the sermon on on sunday and monday and tuesday and tuesday afternoon i'm I'm writing the sermon i'm kind of wrapping it up and i look at the sermon and here's what i realize: the entire sermon is basically what we just covered just spread out over a longer amount of time. And I looked at it and I thought, the whole sermon is about all the dumb things that Paul did that don't get him any credit with God. And, and we're not really talking about Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. So I basically cut out half the sermon and came back and asked the question like, so what do we get? What do we get when we get Jesus? Well, Paul answers the first thing here. And he says this, we get, we get righteousness, which means we get right with God. In verse 9, he says this. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from the boxes, religion, ritual, but that which comes through, know, through what? Faith. Now, you guys are better than that, right? But, but that which comes through? Faith. faith in Christ. And just in case you didn't catch it, the righteousness from God that depends on? Faith. faith. So righteousness is just a right standing with God. How, how do you and I have a right standing with God. We get it through faith. There you go. Through believing in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 21, for our sake, God made, he's talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become we might become the righteousness of God. So what he's teaching here is this that that we have lived sinful lives, every one of us we have made mistakes, every one of us, we have rejected God, all of it. We're all the same in this room. We have all gone down that path. But Jesus came to this earth and lived a righteous, perfect life. And he did it. He didn't do it for him. He did it for you. He did it for me. And then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he kind of gathered up all of your sin, and he held on to that, and, and he died for that. He, he bore that. It became part of him, and he, he, he died for your sins and for mine. And when we place our faith in Christ, it, we get an exchange, It's really a good exchange for us. He takes all of our filth and sin, right? And what do we get? His righteousness. What does that mean? We have a right standing with God. Not because we're good enough, but because Christ was good enough. And all of our sins are forgiven and we're right with God. But it depends on faith. Faith is what connects us with Jesus. Now, I was thinking this week about this idea of faith. It's faith that connects us with God. And sometimes, as Christians, we do this little thing where we kind of intermingle works and, and, and grace in an interesting way. It comes out in subtle ways. Like, sometimes I'll have discussions with people and we'll be talking about, you know, Jesus and talking about Christianity. They're like, oh yeah, and, you know, Jesus is so great and Christianity is so great and how can people not believe in Jesus? And then sometimes people say to me something like, you know, um, at least I, I had the good sense to place my faith in Jesus like I have friends and they don't believe in Jesus and I just but at least I had the good sense at least I had the intelligence at least I was smart enough to believe in Jesus but in fact when you study Paul's writings what you discover is this that Paul says that even faith itself is a gift from God if it wasn't then you could brag right But scripture says you don't get to brag, I don't get to brag about anything. We can't turn to anyone next to us and say, "Uh, I'm actually a little better than you. I actually got in heaven because I checked off a few boxes that you didn't, right? None of us can say that. Because none of us have done anything to contribute to our salvation, not even faith. Faith itself is a gift from God. If If it was something you had done, then it would be a contribution on your part. Faith in Jesus makes us right with God. And by the way, when we are right with God, like we are right. <laughs> like that's the big thing in life. That's the most important thing. But there's some other things that we get. So on the back of your notes, don't let it scare you because I'm about to sprint to the finish line here, okay? So I'm gonna see how many I can get through in a front of time. We're out of time, that's okay. But I wanna mention a few other things that we get when we have faith in Christ. Actually, the second thing that we get, it would be the first thing on my list, and it's not quite in order on your notes either, but that is we get fellowship with Jesus. In other words, we get Jesus. I would just say the best thing that we get from Jesus is Jesus, and we'll talk more about that next week. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says this, God is faithful by whom you were called, you were called by someone, who's that? By God, into the fellowship, the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That means we get Jesus. We get to know him. We get changed by him. Uh, we, we are loved by him. We, we worship him. We're never on our, uh, on our own because Jesus to Paul, Jesus became the most valuable thing that he had. The most valuable thing i would so i was thinking i snuck it in the other services i i told a story in the other services i didn't have in my notes and i'll i'll try this again um i became a christian when i was in high school i wasn't uh wasn't raised in the church never been to church never read my bible um heard the gospel heard about jesus as a freshman in high school um again it wasn't me god did a work in me i placed my faith in christ and uh, from that day forward, something, something changed in my life. Um, went through high school, decided when I graduated from high school, I really wanted to go to Bible college. I just, I didn't, my plan wasn't really to go to the ministry, but it was I wanted to learn more about the Bible. And I don't know, Bible college seemed like a great place to do it, so I wanted to go to Bible college, but... I could say, I, m- my family weren't Christians. And, and uh, so when I said, you know, I'm not going to UCLA like you plan, I'm going to go to Bible college. And my, my family was basically like, hey, that's your life. You can do it, but we're out. right? So you're on your own. You're going to have to figure out your own way to pay for college. And so I packed up my vehicle and I drove to Arizona and I started Bible college. And I remember just thinking, you know what? I'm doing this really bold, crazy thing for God. I have no idea how I'm going to pay for it, but God's going to come through. And so I went to Bible college, went my first year. Turned out to cost more money than I thought it would. Uh, I wasn't able to make as much money as I thought I would. I got to the end of the year. I worked through the summer. When it came time to enroll, I went back to school, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't let you enroll because uh, you still owe us money from last year, and you know we just don't work that way." So, I had to move back to California, and I uh, had to get a job. I got this job through a friend of the family who owned a gas station. Now, this is way back in the day. Uh, Some of you won't remember this, but it's when you would go to a gas station, and this guy would run out, and he would, you know, say, can I fill it up for you? And you would just sit in your car, and um, you wouldn't check your email because that didn't exist, and he would pump your gas. That was me, and I'd check your tires, and I'd lift up the hood, and I'd check your oil, and I'd act like I knew what I was doing. I had no idea. I'd close the hood. I'd wash your windows, and that's what I did. And I, so I'll tell you this, I remember the first day I went to work, and I just, I was just so resentful. I remember going, you know, so here I am, working seven days a week, all my friends are back in Arizona, they're all getting on with their life, they're all going to Bible calls, they're all hanging around the dorm at night, talking about Jesus, talking about the Bible, having some pizza, and uh, you know, they're getting on with their life, and I'm here, and I was very resentful of that. I remember going, uh, like, where? I just remember thinking, God, where were you? We're like, why didn't you come through for me? And I remember going to work one day, and you know, resentful next day, next day, next day. Now I can't tell you where it happened because I, I I don't remember. Somewhere along the line, I remember going to work one day, and thinking to myself, I just I love my job because all of the all of the distractions in my life were gone. I didn't have any friends. <laughs> They were all in Arizona. I I didn't have school. I didn't have studies. I didn't have uh, I, and I didn't have free time. I worked seven days a week. Um, all I had was a job with nobody to talk to, and so I would talk to God. And I just I somewhere along the line, my entire day from beginning to end was nothing but a conversation with Jesus. And somewhere along the line. Jesus became so real to me, so sweet to me, so fulfilling to me that I realized I don't really need anything else. I mean, I don't want to work at a gas station the rest of my life, but if I, if I, if I had to, I could be happy. In fact, I remember at the end of the, the year, um, I had enough money to pay my debt to pay for the whole next year of school, and I remember going back to school and going, man, I I kind of liked it the other way because I had so much, all of that stuff was gone and all I had was Jesus and I learned how awesome he is, how sweet he is. The best thing we get when we get saved is Jesus. Now I think the really cool thing was I would tell you that when I got saved, when I became a Christian, it was all about John 3.16. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, would not go to hell, but have eternal life. I heard the gospel and I, I came to this conclusion. There is a creator that his name is Jesus. He died for my sins. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And so I became a Christian. Simply because I didn't want to go to hell. Which seemed like a good reason to become a Christian. Like I I didn't care. I really didn't know Jesus that well. I certainly didn't love him. That was something that came later. But the cool news is we do, by the way, get heaven when we get Jesus. We also get the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1:13 In him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit so it has this picture like like God comes and seals you right and 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 you now belong to him And nothing can break the seal. And nothing can open it. Nothing can take that away. You belong to God and the Holy Spirit lives in you and he will deliver you to heaven. And in the meantime, he he empowers you to live boldly. He, He helps you know what truth is. He gives you wisdom in life. He comforts you when you need that. He provides you with power. He gives you the ability to worship. You get the Holy Spirit. You get a brand new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, he's a new person. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So I love this. What it means is when you become a Christian, you don't have to be the old you anymore. You don't have to, you know, you're, you're free of the old habits. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to, carry guilt. In fact, when you're a Christian, it's like every day is like New Year's Day. Because right? in our, don't we do this a lot? Like, well, my, you know, 2018 was a tough year. It was a hard year. I did some dumb things. I said some dumb things. I ate some dumb things. You know, I just like, it was kind of a bad year, but it's January 1st. How many of us did this? It's a new year. I get to start over and I don't have to feel bad about any of that stuff. See, when you're a Christian, every day is New Year's Day. Every day when you wake up, you're like, I did some dumb things, but I don't have to feel guilty and I don't have to feel shame and I don't have to feel regret about the failures that I had because i I am brand new in Christ. Every day is New Year's Day. Here's another one. We get unconditional love. Now, we live in a world (laughs) full of conditional love, right? People love us when we make them happy, when we perform, when we've got the right GPA or title or whatever it is. But that's not how God loves us. Romans 8, 38. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything just in case we didn't cover it all nor anything anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the what from the love nothing will separate us from the love of god here's how this works jesus loves you not based on your performance he doesn't love you because you were good enough he loves you because he decided to He decided to. So it doesn't matter if you don't live up to your expectations or the expectations of others. It doesn't matter if you're not good enough. Because that isn't isn't why God loves you. It's based on his decision. Anyone need unconditional love today? Like that's what we get in Christ. We also get peace. Peace. Uh, this is looking ahead a little bit in uh, Philippians but Paul says if you're a Christian you're some good news you don't have to be anxious you don't have to be worried or stressed about anything he says but just pray about it in prayer in supplication with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus God gives us peace in the midst of a chaotic world by the way Is it just me or does it seem like the world's getting more chaotic, more crazy every day? He says you need a little peace that isn't rooted in circumstance. God gives you that as a Christian. He also brings about sovereign results. In Romans 8, 28, it says, "And We know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God. You love God? You have a relationship with God. You've placed your faith in God to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, what he's saying is this. If something bad happens to you, right? If something you don't like happens to you, if someone has it out for you, if evil comes along in your life, it doesn't say that God causes everything. God doesn't cause evil. But notice what it says. But he, he promises to use everything. We could say he repurposes. Somebody comes along and means evil for you, he repurposes it. And he does good things in your life. And many of you have experienced that firsthand. I know some of you have experienced it this week, how something hard happened and God repurposed it and used it. Here's the last thing. And with this, we come full circle. We wrap this up. We get daily grace. There's so many other things that we get in Christ, but I want to mention this because this brings us all the way to where we started. He gives us daily grace. Ephesians 2.8. Here's what he says. For by grace. So I kind of like this. The word grace means gift, free gift, all right? So by grace, by free gift, you have been saved through what? Right, because that comes up a lot. So I believe in Jesus And then I get grace. What is grace? It's a gift. It's a gift. He's very repetitive here, right? And this is not your own doing. You didn't check off a box. That isn't what got you right. It is the what? Gift. That's grace. It is the gift of God. Not a a result of what? Not boxes. Not rituals. You've seen the, the progression here? You're saved by grace. You're not saved by your works. So that... Right? This is what we said earlier. So, no one can boast. No one can brag. I did this. I did this. I said this. I was that. None of us can do that because none of us were saved by checking off the boxes. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, For we are his what? Yeah, so God's doing something in us. God's doing something. We are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Oh, now wait a minute. I thought we weren't doing good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what he's saying. We are not only saved by grace, but we live every day by grace. God has prepared good works for you to do, We don't do good works to be right with God. We do good works as a result of being right with God. Before Christ, we were dead, Dead people can't do anything good, right? But after Christ, as we'll talk about next week, we live in the resurrection power of Christ. Some of us think, I'm waiting for the resurrection power of Christ. As we'll discover next week, you already experienced the resurrection power of Christ. And once you are living in that, now you can do good works, it's God working through you. But here's the point, all right? He's preparing your heart, he's giving you opportunities, he wants you to make a difference in your world, to be salt, to be light, to proclaim the gospel. But here's the thing, as you go along living for Christ, if you're not perfect, and you're not, if you make mistakes, and you will, if you sin tomorrow, and you will, he has grace for that too. So he doesn't just have grace for yesterday or for today, but tomorrow as you try to live for Jesus and you don't do it perfectly, guess what? He has grace for that too. Here's the point so you don't have to be good enough because Jesus was good enough for you. So now you can simply let him do it through you. That's the point. You don't do it for him. He does it through you. So a little something to do this week. See, As we go from here today, we're going to go out into a community full of people who don't, they don't know this about Christ. They don't know this. Some of them still are thinking, I got to be good enough, and then they don't, they're not good enough, and you know, then they're living with guilt and shame, and you walk out, and you don't have any guilt, and you don't have any shame, and you weren't good enough, but you know you don't have to be, because Christ is good enough for you. And you're rubbing shoulders with people who are struggling with guilt and shame, and You know, they're looking at you, and at some point, you probably ought to tell them, hey, by the way, here's the reason I have so much joy, because I'm not good enough. (laughs) And I don't have to be, because someone was good enough for me. His name was Jesus. And when you place your faith in Him, you don't have to be good enough even then, because He was good enough for you. Amen? Let's pray.